Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. What's up? This is Michael Rappaport. You are now listening to the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Oh, my. Goodness, this is going to be a good one. On today's podcast, on today's brand new I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, we are discussing more about 21 Savage. 21 Savage, you ain't Mother Teresa Duke. We're breaking down what the word boycott actually means. Answers. I need answers. Why didn't Todd Gurley play in the Super Bowl? We have some fantastic sick fucks of the week, plus special guest, the Big Daddy Kane. Big Daddy Kane is rocking with me on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. We're talking about him writing songs for Bismarcky. We're talking about how he got his start, how famous he got, the making of some of his best songs. He's also a huge Willie Hutch fan, that's right. Miles Jordan, get that Willie Hutch ready because Big Daddy Kane is breaking down what he loves about the great Willie Hutch and so much more with one of my favorite rappers of all time, Dream List Podcasting with the Big Daddy Kane coming up next. Miles Jordan, let me get something real nice, something real proper, but most importantly, we got Big Daddy Kane here. Let me get something real funky. The I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. This is the Gringo Mandingo, a.k.a. Mr. White Folks, a.k.a. the most excited podcaster on the planet because 
Bucket List Podcast, as I mentioned earlier, somebody that means so much to me. I mean, a fucking true blue star, a true blue icon, a true blue game changer. I mean, Big Daddy Kane is on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, and Big Daddy Kane is... Uh, he's like, it's like Jimi Hendrix, okay? If you don't really know um, his influence, it's as impactful as Jimi Hendrix had on rock and roll or as impactful as Jimi Hendrix had on guitar playing. When there's there's a few guys, okay? And, and I'm not going to go over each one of them, but there's a few guys who when they came out, um, they redefined uh, what was being defined daily in the early golden era of hip-hop uh, when the MC had to be ultra-skilled, when the MC had to be completely unique, when the MC had to be one of one, when the MC had to be saying something. Uh whether he was talking shit, whether it was gangster shit, whether it was positive shit, he had to be saying something. There was no room for anything else. And Big Daddy Kane came in like a fucking lightning bolt when he dropped his voice, the style, the flow, the cadence, what he was saying, the sense of humor, the consciousness. You know, the, 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 sex, the sex appeal, the pimping. Like, he, he's just a, a complete original. Um, and I've said this many times. Without Big Daddy Kane, there would be no Jay-Z, okay? He's the consummate Brooklyn MC. Um, and he's definitely somebody, the first podcast I ever recorded uh, when I was going through the names of people that I dreamed of having on here, Big Daddy Kane was one of them. So having him on today's episode of the podcast uh, is just, I, I'm just a kid in a candy store and it's been a long time coming. It's only the second time I met Kane. Uh, the first time I met him, I was with my man, Toby Morse, and I was literally like, oh shit, there's Big Daddy Kane. Like It was like as if I saw the real life Spider-Man or some shit like that. And I, I, you know, I told him this, I was fawning and stuttering on, and he gave me his card. My man had a card. This is about 10 years ago. He had a card and it said Big Daddy Kane. And it had a phone number on it. And I was like, of course, this cool ass motherfucker would have a card that said Big Daddy Kane and a phone number because he, he, he's just that dude. So uh, later on in the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast, it is my pleasure and truly, I don't say this a lot, my honor to have the great, one of the greatest of all time, one of the most influential of all time, Big Daddy Kane on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. So last night after the Super Bowl, we dropped an emergency post-game primetime podcast on premium. If you are not a premium I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast subscriber, why? 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 Download the I Am Rappaport podcast app 
and become a premium subscriber for just $2.99 a month. You can't even buy a slice of pizza for $2.99. Okay? And any slice of pizza that you could buy for $2.99 ain't no real slice of pizza. Be careful what the fuck you're out there eating. But don't be careful about what you're listening to if it means listening to the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Because it's pure fire every single time. That's just the way it is. On last night's premium primetime emergency I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast, we explained why Julian Edelman is now a top three Jew of all time. He is a top three Jew with Jesus Christ, Albert Einstein, Julian Edelman, in no particular order. Those are the top three Jews of all time. It, it, it's a fluctuating list, but that's the top three Jews right now. Einstein, Jesus Christ, Julian Edelman, in no particular order. And uh, we broke down the Super Bowl. Uh, we broke down halftime. I'm not repeating that. I, I ain't repeating all that, Duke. Okay? Download the app and listen to the episode. It was gorgeous. The only thing I'm going to talk about on today's I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast in regards to the Super Bowl is this. A lot of people out here complaining about the game, uh, saying it was boring, saying it was this, saying it was that. And I say, turn the fucking game off. Motherfuckers that said it was boring, do not watch football. All season long, everybody, including myself, was saying the league has become too offensive heavy. The defense is at a disadvantage. The Super Bowl comes out, and the defense on both teams shines. Yes, everybody would like to see more points, but if you're a football fan, this is just a normal game. These things happen. Sometimes it's a defensive game. Tom Brady didn't play his best. The Los Angeles Rams defense played very, very, very well. Jared Goff didn't play his best. The New England Patriot defense was ridiculous, stunting on him, doing some Voltron trickery shit. Great plays on the defensive side. And if you're out there complaining, saying it was boring, go watch Dancing with the fucking Stars. Turn it off. Turn the fucking game off. Go on the E! channel and watch reruns of Botched. Watch motherfuckers get facelifts and ass lifts and get tit jobs fixed up on Botched. Turn the game off. You're not a real fan. It's a football game. There's nothing you can predict. Yes, everybody thought it was going to be more high scoring, but it wasn't a boring game. Every single play mattered. Even though it was a low scoring game, it was a tight game. You don't like it, go watch reruns of Friends, Cornball. You're not a football fan. You're mad because Maroon 5 was whack. You're mad because Travis Scott was out there and, we, and no one could understand a fucking word the guy was saying. Nobody could understand a fucking word he was saying. No one. They let my guy, Big Boy, from Outcast come out there, in and out. It's a nice gesture, but you know, it, it, it was what it was. Duke from Maroon 5's out there, chest naked, with his, with, his, with his whole shit shaved and waxed down to the bone. 
It was trash. You saying move like Jagger. Motherfuckers was watching the Super Bowl, hoping that Christina Aguilera would come out. Aguilera didn't come out. And you're disappointed. Turn the game off. It's not for you. All season long, we've been complaining. So you didn't get a high-scoring game. You don't like it? I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what the fuck to tell you. I enjoyed the game thoroughly. I was engaged thoroughly. It wasn't a blowout. Shut your fucking mouth. You're not a football fan to begin with. The only thing that I don't understand is what happened with Todd Gurley. Since the game, Todd Gurley said he felt fine. There's been no confirmation whether or not Todd Gurley, the best running back in the NFL, fantasy football beast, Number one pick in every single fantasy football league. He led the league in different stats throughout the season. I believe Ezekiel Elliott was the uh, rushing leader. But Todd Gurley's all-star, all-pro, top two guy. If he wasn't the best running back, he's, he's definitely the best football player on the Los Angeles Rams. If the best football player on your team is hurt and the season's over, confirm, yes, he was hurt. Uh, that's why he was limited, uh, no excuses, but he was banged up, he was dealing with a whatever the fuck it is. Because if I'm the owner of the Los Angeles Rams, I'm the fans of the Los Angeles Rams, you're trying to ingratiate yourself. Let's not forget the Los Angeles Rams have only been the Los Angeles Rams for three seasons. Those games are not sold out. You go to a Los Angeles Rams game versus the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers had more fans in the stadium in L.A. I don't give a fuck that you're building a new stadium, Duke. You made it to the Super Bowl. Who cares? You know how hard it is to get back to the Super Bowl? Ask the Philadelphia Eagles. Ask the Seattle Seahawks. The only team that guarantees to go to the Super Bowl almost every year or every other year is the fucking Patriots. This Rams team, yo, you never know what could happen. An injury here, an injury there. Todd Gurley says, fuck Sean McVay. You didn't play me. I'm sitting out. Pay me. It ain't easy to get back to the Super Bowl. This team is trying to ingratiate themselves to the Los Angeles fan base. I need to know what the fuck was going on with the best football player on your football team on the most important football day of the football season. I need answers. Otherwise, I know it sounds radical. I say fire Sean McVay. What? Yeah, I said, yeah, we fire Sean McVay. Why did you bench? Why was the best player on my team, if I'm the owner, if I'm the GM, why is the best player on my team limited? I'm a fan. I want to know. People are up in arms about Cardi B. Cardi B performed at some, I don't know what the fuck it was. Some something that had to do with Bob Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, and Meek Mill. And it was some corporate gig to raise funds or consciousness for their prison reform a program which I support. I think it's fantastic. But Cardi B, you said you were boycotting the Super Bowl. And so many other people out there said they were boycotting the Super Bowl. Cardi B performed at a Super Bowl event. She was also in a Pepsi ad during the Super Bowl. I could careless get all the money, Cardi B. And it's not even you. Maybe somebody around you needs to explain exactly what boycotting means. And this isn't even specifically at Cardi B. 
It's to everybody that sits there with their I'm with Cap jersey. Listen, if you're with Cap and you're really about that boycotting life, look the fucking word up. Okay, putting on an I'm with Cap jersey or putting an I'm with Cap thing at your Super Bowl party is not really being with Cap. All, you know, the only people who I could say for sure were really about that boycott, Amy Schumer, she said she wasn't with it. She, she turned down things. She didn't watch the game. She laid low. Cap himself and the New Orleans Saints fans, they, yo, but they weren't boycotting with Cap. They were boycotting for the boycott. Them motherfuckers were down there partying. They were not watching the game. The New Orleans Saints fans were not fucking around. They were like, yo, we ain't watching. We're going in the streets. We're doing what we do best. And they put some old school Bayou voodoo on the Los Angeles Rams because those motherfuckers put up 33 points a game all season. They averaged 33 points a game. I, I don't fact check. I don't fact check, but I'm almost sure it's 33 points a game. If you never listened to the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, rule number one of the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, no fact checking. I'm doing this podcast raw dog without a bag. That's right. I'm skeeting. I'm straight skeeting. But boycotting, okay, doesn't mean I'm going to Atlanta. I'm going to perform here, perform there. I'm going to Atlanta. I'm going to this party, going to that party. I'm wearing my I'm with Cap jersey at another party, uh, uh, going to a uh, boycotting doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm hashtagging, I'm with Cap, uh, fuck the NFL, but I'm, I'm watching the game. Uh, boycotting in the Webster's Dictionary. See, because sometimes you got to go right back to the dictionary. Boycotting means to abstain from or act together in abstaining from using, buying, dealing with, or participating in as an expression of protest or disfavor as means of coercion. You see, that's what the fuck boycotting means. You're either boycotting or you're not boycotting. There's not halfway boycotting, you dumb fucks, you. And I'm speaking to everybody of all race, creed, color, and sexuality. Either you're shutting it down or you ain't. And the question is, to quote Mob Deep, there ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Well, I say there ain't no such thing as halfway boycotters. Are halfway boycotters the new halfway crooks? Are halfway boycotters the new halfway crooks? You ain't boycotting if you watch the game. You ain't boycotting if you participated in anything that had to do with the Super Bowl. That ain't boycotting. That's bullshitting. If you haven't been living under a rock, the rapper 21 Savage, who's from London, England, who told everybody, since he came on the scene that he was from Atlanta, was picked up by ICE, ICE agents, for being in the country illegally. 
That's right. The fucking rapper 21 Savage is 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 from Britain. That Atlanta get up, that Atlanta accent that he throws on so thick, that's not real. That's a put on. And I, I haven't been this disoriented by someone faking jacks in hip hop since I found out that Rick Ross, Rick Rose, was a former corrections officer. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, what blew my mind more was Rick Ross, a corrections officer, or finding out that 21 Savage was actually from London. Now, nobody in hip-hop was giving a fuck about I-C-E snatching mostly Latin American people, Latino people. I shouldn't say Latin American because if they're not citizens, they're not actually Latin American. I don't want to offend anybody. Okay, they were snatching people of Latin descent. When the whole ICE thing was going down and ICE was coming into town and ICE was grabbing this one and grabbing that one, most of the people that were getting grabbed or that it was getting headlines that they were getting grabbed were Latinos, okay? No one in hip-hop gave a fucking shit. No one in hip-hop made any songs about it. Nobody in hip-hop put out any protest. Nobody in hip-hop came, with up, came up with any dope hashtags or any fly shit. 21 Savage gets snatched up by ICE agents in Atlanta, claiming he's from Atlanta, but he's actually from London, and overnight, 21 Savage became Mother Teresa. You ain't Mother Teresa, Duke. Listen, you've been famous for about five years now. You should have been handled that shit. You should have been handled that shit. That's like like driving... Without a license, driving without registration. That's on you, dumb fuck. You out there driving without registration, you out there driving without a license, and you get pulled over, and you wind up three days in jail because it sucks. I feel bad. That's on you. You've been famous all this time. This motherfucker has done tours all over the world. He's toured in London. He's toured in Europe. I know every time he flew on a plane out of the country, he was like, uh, he knew. You got lawyers, you got, yo, this guy's very successful. You got money, you should have been taking care of that shit. You're not Mother Teresa, Duke. Okay? That's on you. That's on the people around you. That's on everybody who knew your little secret. That little accent, that Atlanta shit. He was just the other day talking shit about Takashi 6 9 saying, I hate rats. And rats this, because he Takashi 6ix9ine, the rapper's ratting everybody out. And you you so thuggish, ruggish, but we're going to see how you get down now, Duke. We are going to see how you get down now, Duke. How do we know that Takashi 6ix9ine didn't rat this fucking guy out? Takashi 6ix9ine been like, yo, what do I get uh, for 21 Savage? He's like, well, what'd he do? Be like, yo, he's not from uh, uh, United States. He's from London. He's faking Jack saying he's from Atlanta. Oh, we'll take three months off your sentence. That'll get you three months. That's all we could do. Are you confirming that he's not from Atlanta? Yeah. Like, all right, we'll, we'll take off three months off your sentence. That's all we're going to do for that shit. So they bagged his ass up. Listen, this guy's not a martyr. He'll be fine. In and out. You should have been taking care of this shit. Anybody out there who's driving around with your license fucked up and you know it, either get it fixed 
or get yourself a motherfucking scooter or walk. Get on some Hussein bullshit and run. Get a bike. Do something with yourself. Because when they bag you up and you wind up doing two days in the can because you got arrested on a Friday and the judge is away and you can't get out till Monday and you can't place bail, yo, okay? I don't fuck with that shit. My paperwork is tight and right. My, my wife, she don't play that shit, okay? All my paperwork is tight and right. Some people say, oh, I couldn't afford it. Yo, then don't be in the car. I don't know what to tell you, money. I, I, listen, I know everybody got tough times. I, I respect that. But yo, with the laws are the fucking laws. You're a famous rap star, worldwide known. You should have been taking care of this shit. Now everybody's bleeding hearts. They feel bad for him. They want to get funds. They, they, I saw something. Somebody wants to get fundraiser to get him out. This guy's a multi-platinum, multi-millionaire. He don't need funds. You should have went down to the courthouse as soon as your record started popping five years ago and got this shit dealt with. You're lucky this shit didn't happen while you were in London, homie. You're lucky they bagged you in Atlanta. You're lucky this didn't happen in London. You In London, you never come the fuck back to the United States. I'm sure this dude's going to be fine. I don't know anything about his music. I've heard him rap before, and I'll say this from the bottom of my heart. My man is straight whack when it comes to rapping. I don't give a fuck that he looks cool. I don't give a fuck that he got a tattoo on his forehead. I don't give a fuck that uh, he, 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 he's a nice guy. I'm saying as far as skills, he's not dope. Okay, because when it comes to sports, if you're not good at your job, everybody says you ain't shit at your job. When it comes to acting, if you're not good, people are like, yo, this guy sucks. For some reason, when the hip-hop, they're like, yo, you don't understand. You old. Yeah, he's, he's whack. Period. If a guy's a bum and he, and he plays for, for your favorite team, you're like, yo, he ain't shit. But when it comes to rappers, uh, uh, you can't say he's whack. If you, if you say he's whack, he's hating. He's trash, Duke. I don't give a fuck about any of the mumbling. That shit is... If, if you go... Uh, gumball, gumball, and you get a tattoo on your face and you look kind of cool and you're kind of likable, you could have a rap career. The man that's coming up later on in the I Am Rap Poor Stereo podcast, that's a different level of shit. That's the whole kit and caboodle, and he breaks it down beautifully, eloquently, in detail later on in the I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast. So the Christophe Porzingis podcast that we put out the other day, which uh, is another game-changing I Am Rapport Stereo podcast, and I appreciate everybody's support of that podcast and the sharing and the retweeting and this and that. I seriously think that I might have busted a blood vessel with my ielloing slash Willie Hutching on that episode. But the, the, the Porzingis uh, hate has, has turned around. And, and I want to clarify uh, one thing about the trade that's uh, come out since we did the podcast. And that's this. It was not Dolan's fault. Dolan is a piece of shit. We know that. But this, I, I truly believe that ever since Phil Jackson was there and with Fisdale and the Scott, uh, what is it, Scott Mills? No, St- Steve, Steve Mills, whatever the fuck. The GM and Fisdale of the Knicks. David Fisdale, my guy, friend of the Iron Rapport Serial Podcast, they're in control of all basketball operations. 
Christophe Porzingis is a bitch-ass puppet who didn't want to play in New York. He's a bitch-ass puppet who's standing behind his brother, who is the puppet master, who's his agent, who's making all his decisions, and he's chirping in his ear. His, he, he, he's a bitch-ass trick. He don't think for himself. He don't have the fucking, the fucking stones. We can see that we know everything that the Knicks have done wrong and all that shit, but you're a bitch-ass motherfucker. Okay, and after that bitch ass, tall, lanky, goofy motherfucker left, after they traded him, right after the Knicks traded him, he put out a tweet of him and Luka Doncic. Doncic, is that his fucking name? The young rookie on the Dallas Mavericks. The first thing he tweeted after he was traded was like the big bug eyes emoji and him the night before the trade slapping five with Luka Doncic at halftime of the Knicks-Mavericks game. The Mavericks, do not forget, were playing the Knicks on Thursday. The trade went down on Friday. Or the, the, it was Wednesday, and the trade went down on Thursday. And we put the podcast out on Thursday as opposed to the normal Friday. Normally, when someone gets traded, like Trey Burke of the New York Six, he was in that trade. The first thing you do is, I want to thank the city. I want to thank the fans. In whatever language you, you want to do it. We treated this goofball so well, with such respect, with such high hopes. And the first thing you tweet out, you dumb, goofy, broken ankle, gimp, cocksucker, is you slapping five the night before with your new teammate. You run like a brittle old piece of shit, okay? You, we don't know when you're going to play again. You missed 100 games, you cocksucker, you. We treated you like gold. Now, when you come, and oh, the second thing this big goofy motherfucker did. Two days after the trade, while he was in, he's already a Dallas Maverick. This goofy cocksucker on Instagram put out, and I quote, the city deserves better than that. My suggestions for Nick fans is to stay woke. Peace. Duke, we don't need any suggestions for you. The suggestions that you need to take is go to Germany, get yourself pumped up with some new blood cells, homie. Your body don't work. You're 23. You're running around the garden like you're 76 years old. Don't, we don't need advice from you. You feel me? We don't need advice from you. Listen to your punk-ass brother, okay? Okay? Tape your motherfucking ankles up, and hopefully you'll be back on the court at some point next season. And if and when you do make it to Madison Square Garden, if you're healthy that game, okay? Because we never know what to expect with your health, and you're 23, homie. You're 23 years old. You've missed over 100 games, Duke. And you're talking out of pocket. But when you come back to the garden, rest assured, come rain or shine, me one way or another, even if I have to break my biggest rule as a Knicks fan, which is never, ever, ever buy tickets. Always get hooked up with some tickets, even if I have to buy one Solo ticket to sit on the wood. I will be there talking way the fuck out of pocket to you. 
Oh, yes. You think that little bullshit that happened with Spike Lee and Reggie Miller was bad? I'm going to be talking all the way greasy to you. And whether or not you understand me, that's on you, money. But you're talking all that fly shit, talking about stay woke. Hopefully, that, that tells me you understand the English language. Well, we're going to see if you understand the gringo mandingo because I kicked that good shit and I will be there. I will be there live and in person. And if I could arrange it nicely, it'll be me and Oak ice grilling you, Duke. Like, what's good? Every time you get the ball, we're booing, we're screaming. When you run by me, I'm cursing under my breath. Punk ass, bitch ass motherfucker. The fuck out of New York. That, that's what I'm doing. Talking about stay woke. We deserve better. Yeah, we, we, we deserve better than a 23-year-old who missed 100 games. That's what the fuck we deserve better than. Goofball. I am Rappaport Podcast. <sighs> what else is going on? I, I, I'm way behind on sick fucks of the week. I know that. I got to pick up the pace on that. You know, last week's uh, fucking Porzingis podcast on Thursday, it's just threw everything out of whack. And again, I seriously think that I might have busted a blood vessel doing that now classic podcast. Um, but I got a couple of sick fucks that I'm going to throw at you uh, real quick. Uh, Miles Jordan, please let me get the sick fuck of the week music. Yes. Yes, this is the sick fuck of the week segment, an award winning segment of the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. The Sick Fuck of the Week is an award that is earned, not given. Earned? Oh yeah, but not given. It goes out to a certain sick fuck with a certain uh, how do you say, uh, as the French say, it's a, a je ne sais quoi. In Queens, this was a very disturbing, very, very, very upsetting sick fuck who's on the run in Queens. Oh, actually it happened in Williamsburg, uh, uh, Brooklyn. The young lady is from Queens. A beautiful uh, girl, 31-year-old girl named Dana Sagana, uh, was on her way to volunteer work. This girl's a librarian. She was on her way to volunteer work. And as you could tell from the picture, she's very pretty. Uh, a man came up to her, was flirting with her, and he said he was going to marry her. Now, listen, if you're a beautiful girl in New York, you get all kinds of dumb motherfuckers talking that bullshit all the time. This cocksucker said uh, 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 he wanted to marry her. He said she was pretty and then asked her if she was scared. She said no. Then he grabbed her by the neck, whipped out a box cutter, a razor blade, and cut this beautiful girl's face. Sliced her from the bottom of her eye to the bottom of her cheekbone and ran off. This is a real, true, blue, sick fuck. Fortunately, this young lady, nice girl, she's a librarian. She was on her way to do uh, a volunteer work. Fortunately, she will just have this scar on her face, which I'm sure will heal up. And she's so pretty that I'm sure she'll be just fine. She's one of these just beautiful looking people. If you're in New York City, you know if you're a woman, people say shit to you. But this sick fuck is on the loose. The man is described as unkept Latino in his 50s. 
He's on the loose. She was standing on the corner bleeding and obviously stunned. And Uber picked her up. They took her to the hospital where she was stitched up. But this cocksucker's on the loose. Put an APB for the sick fuck in Williamsburg. He's 50-something with a medium build, bummy-ass clothes, and Latino. Not very specific, but this is, the, this is the report that she put out. Her name is Dana Sagano. Poor girl. Thank God she's all right. But he is a sick fuck of the loose right now. Right now in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. The next sick fuck of the week is this bum. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. Yo, yo, he's a sick fuck, but I, this this dude right here is he's wild. Um, there was pictures that resurfaced of him from the eighties of Duke in jet black face. My man had on black shoe polish on his face. He was straight up on some minstrel show shit. There's a picture of him dressed next to a guy in a Ku Klux Klan robe. Some sort of sick costume party, some sort of racial, some sort of racist Halloween party. Duke is in a full blackface. There's a picture of him next to a guy in a Ku Klux Klan robe on some on some ha-ha Saturday night party shit. Money gave a press conference and came out and said, no, this wasn't blackface. This, this wasn't blackface. I was dressed as Michael Jackson. And not only was he dressed as Michael Jackson, at the time he said he was a big fan of Michael Jackson's. And at the time he also said he could moonwalk in his press conference. It looked like at one point he was going to show everybody that he could moonwalk. Duke, you can't moonwalk. You wasn't dressed like Michael Jackson. You ain't moonwalking. What's with the blackface fetish? Why are there so many people dressed in fucking blackface? I don't understand it. Next sick fucks, family from Detroit was kicked off an American Airlines flight after passengers complained about the odor of the entire family. My man, I think he's an Orthodox Jew. His name is Yossi. His wife, Jeannie, and their baby were finishing up their vacation in Miami, heading back to Detroit when they were escorted off the flight. People were saying, yo, these motherfuckers smell like shit. Passengers were saying they smell like shit. Flight attendants were saying they were smelled like shit. They filed a complaint and they had to walk the whole crew off the family. It wasn't just the father. It wasn't just the mother. It wasn't just the kid. It was the whole crew. Takes one to no one. Flocks of shitty motherfuckers, uh, of uh, seagulls, whatever, you know that one? That flocks of seagulls, blah, blah, blah. The whole crew smelled like shit. They had to kick the whole crew off the plane. I know it's embarrassing, but take a fucking shower, Duke. Yo, the whole family needs to take a hot shower together. When my kids were young, we used to bathe together. I loved it. I looked forward to it. When I was a little kid, I used to bathe with my pops. Okay? Wash your whole crew. Your wife smells like shit. You smell like shit. And consequently, your little man, your son smells like shit. Fuck is the matter with you? Brooklyn. Sick fucking pimp. Antoine Green. He's a pimp. He's a sick fucking pimp. 
He was arrested and sentenced a couple of days ago for running a prostitution ring with teenage hookers. Antoine Green, the pimp, pimping Antoine Green, got eight years in jail. They don't like pimps in jail, Duke. You look like, from the picture I see, that you think you bout it. We're going to see if you're bouted in jail. How do we know that one of those prisoners in the cell that you're going to be with wasn't one of the young teenage girls that you were pimping? So you know what that means? Now you're going to be the bitch. You're going to be the prostitute. You're going to be the one that's given up sex against his will, Duke. That good, old, Wonder Bread bag and olive oil treatment. That's what you're getting, pimping Antoine Green from Brooklyn. You got eight years to think about what the fuck you was doing, you nasty pimp cocksucker, you. All right, and finally, Liam Neeson, you sick fuck you. You old piece of shit. Uh, uh, Liam Neeson said this after uh, uh, he was discussing an old friend of his uh, on the uh, Ireland's Late Late Show. Um, He said, um, and he was discussing a friend of his uh, that got raped, uh, unfortunately. Uh, um, It happened to be by a black guy. Um, And he said in response to this, when it was brought up, he said this. I asked, did did she know who there was? No. What color were they? She said it was a black person. I went up and down areas with a cosh hoping I'd be uh, approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that. And I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could kill him. Okay, Liam Neeson. This is not really taken, Duke. Uh, You're not really in a movie Duke, you're not in cold pursuit. You just fucked yourself up. Now, listen, they let this cocksucker Mel Gibson back in show business. They're going to let your old dumbass back in there, too. But that's that old Irish dumb shit. Or is he Scottish? I don't know. I don't care. But Liam Neeson, congratulations. You just became a sick fuck of the week. All right, without further ado, the great... Big Daddy Kane is up next with me on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Pardon my stuttering. Pardon my stammering. I was tripping out sitting here with Big Daddy Kane. Um, So appreciative that he came through. I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast coming up next with Big Daddy Kane. Men, sometimes we are terrible. We're not good of taking care of our health, whether it's a knee injury, a back injury, or something worse. Guys are are sometimes just more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it and acting like it doesn't exist rather than going to see a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED do not get treated for it. You always want to be able to perform. Thankfully, Roman created an easy, discreet way to get checked out by a doctor and treated for ED online. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door privately. 
no waiting rooms, no weird, uncomfortable face-to-face conversations, and no uncomfortable trips to a pharmacy. Nobody wants that. That's why we don't treat it. You can handle everything discreetly, privately, online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash champ, fill out a brief medical onboarding, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved ED medications delivered to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. There's nothing to be ashamed of. For a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash champ. That's GetRoman.com slash champ. Always. All right. The big daddy Kane is in the building. Kane, when, the first time I did the podcast, I went through a list of people, my dream guests to interview. De Niro, Larry Bird, Big Daddy Kane, and so on and so on. So, I, I mean, seriously, this is a fucking honor. Like, you, you, you were, you're, you're such a part of my, no. my, my life. Wait a minute, bro. I'm on a list with Bird and De Niro. Bird, De Niro, <laughs> Kane, you're on that list. That's what's up. We, Weezy, let, let Big Daddy Kane live. Let the big father live. All right. I just want to say, I mean, you mean so much to me. I saw you perform in 86 at Union Square when you were back up for biz. Okay. I saw you perform 87 Latin Quarters when you were still, before you were going solo. You're so influential. I've talked about you so much. I got tons of questions. I broke rule number one of the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast, which is don't fact check. There ain't no fact checking. Which we, we, we actually, we did ain't no half step and we made ain't no fact checking. <laughs> That's what's up. I like that. So my first question, and I'm going to jump around, and some questions I hope you've never answered. Some questions I know you've answered before. My first question is, when did Antonio Hardy become the Big Daddy King? Um, well, Antonio Hardy became an MC in 82. And you were like 14? Uh, what's that like? Is that, yeah, I guess 13, 14, somewhere, yeah. Um, but that's when I became an MC. And, um, I was originally calling myself Tony T. Okay. You know, and then, um, I think maybe like around 84, I switched it to MC Kane. Yeah. I switched it to MC Kane, and then Big Daddy, probably like the following year, like 85. I started using 85, maybe. And the moniker Kane, King Asiatic, Nobody's Equal, was that where it was from? Like, where did the Kane come from first, initially? Kane originally came from David Carradine, um, uh, Kung Fu TV show. Like, that was like something, to, like, people would call me um, Kane or... Young Grasshopper or um, Bruce Lee, because you know we'd be outside, you know, playing tag, Coco Livio, Red Light, Green Light, whatever, and you know, Kung Fu Theater come on at three o'clock on Saturday or one o'clock on Sunday. You got to find somebody else. I'm in. I'm I'm inside. We could be in the middle of the game. You know, two fifty eight. I'm going inside to watch karate moves. So they they go Young Grasshopper. They go Kane, and I thought that the Kane one was the best. You know, to use. That's dope. Um, all right, so you said you became an MC, 82. When you look back at it, it's a long time now, and, and you've been through so much, you've accomplished so much in regards to hip-hop and your mind, 82, 83, when you said you became an MC, what was around you 
that was inundating you that wanted you to become an MC? And what were what were you? I mean, you're a kid, 14 years old. What what were you like as an MC then? I mean, I know everybody rhymed, everybody played ball, everybody did something, but like, what was it for you that was like, I want to do this? Well, like, I originally like um like late 70s going into 80s. Um, I think um I was trying to DJ first. I had written rhymes for my cousin, um, Nicole. She was calling herself Nikki B. I was writing her rhymes. This is like 1980. But um, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. You know, then around 82, uh, someone broke in my grandmother's crib and stole stole my turntables. So, you know, I didn't have access to, you know, that form of hip-hop no more, you know, where I can do it. And my cousin, um, dude, an older cousin I looked up to named Murdoch, he started emceeing. Okay. He was someone I looked up to, idolized. He always took me to the deuce, see the karate flicks. So it was like, he emceeing, then I want to do it too. And he you know, told me that I was too young. And he was rapping with these other two dudes, um, Owen and um, SK. So I started off writing battle rhymes, saying to myself, if I can beat you know, Spence and Owen, he'll put me down with him. So I started writing battle rhymes. Everything I wrote was a battle rhyme. Then I went... And battle Spence, um, I asked O for a battle. He told me I didn't want it. I'm a little kid walking a whole block behind him, walking behind him, just spitting. And everybody else was like, ooh, ooh. And, and, you know, that's when I started really taking it serious, you know. That's that's dope. Um, All right. And then Sarah J. Hale. Mm-hmm. My man Cliff Love went there. I know you yeah. talk about it. Sarah J. Hale was a wild fucking school <laughs> in Brooklyn. Well, I've known Cliff since seventh grade. Right. You know, yeah. 117, yeah. So, right, before, in junior high school, right? Junior high, yeah. All right, so so what was going on in Sarah J. Hale, the Bismarcky connection, the Mr. C connection, which people don't give him enough credit in terms of Mr. C because Mr. C, your DJ, Mr. C winds up DJing for big. Like, what was going on in Sarah J. Hale? What's the Bismarcky connection? Break down that whole shit. Okay, well, um, when I was in Sarah J. at that point in time um i'm um mc kane uh becoming big daddy kane and i basically had battled pretty much everybody in the school and this is just in brooklyn in brooklyn well i mean i've battled a lot of people in um in in um queens and um manhattan as well but really you know just really in you know my hood in brooklyn but in the school i pretty much battled all the top mcs so it was like i was that known dude where people come to my classroom you know, knock on the glass and go like this. You know, let me know, yo, somebody here. So, because there's people coming from Western House, Eastern District, um, Brooklyn Tech, all types of different schools. They would come up there to battle. So I go outside, air somebody out, and then come back in. So it was like, it was like, it was like, you know, I was that dude in school. Okay. So a friend of mine named um, Austin, he came to me and said, "Yo, I just battled this dude in the lunchroom." He got me. I told him, I bet you, you you know, you can't fuck with Kane. He was like, go get him. So we went back and I battled the dude. And as soon as I spit one bar, he said, yeah, I'm just fucking around. I'm not an MC, man. I'm really a DJ, man. My name is Mr. C. I got like a crew that I DJ for. I was spitting one of their rhymes, but I'm really not an MC. But yo, you dope. You should get down with our crew. And I got down with his crew, the Magnum Force. And, you know, um, you know, at point in time, you know, at some point in time, you know, they pretty much all dispersed and it was just really me and C. But then C started rocking with this dude named Eric D, 
who was throwing a lot of big parties in Brooklyn, bringing artists like Dougie Fresh, Salt and Pepper, um, um, and so many others to perform. You know, before Joe they were popping, or like no, they was popping. This is when Doug and Rick had the show out. Salt and right. Pepper was out. Um, uh, Joe Ski Love, the Pee Wee Herman, right, right. <clears throat> yeah, he was bringing all these people to Brooklyn to perform and letting a lot of local MCs open up for for them. You know, so C was rocking with him doing his thing, and then one day, um, same girl Nick, that I was writing for Nicole, her boyfriend at the time who used to always tell me about this dude named Bismarcky D. And he was like, yo, he and Albie Square Mall right now. Yo, he just was doing a beatbox, doing numbers. I'm like, you know, I'm so sick of you talking. We in there now? All right, let's go see him. But dig this. When I eat his ass up, from now on, you be going, go to your man Biz and tell him about MC Kane, all right? So we went in there. I asked Biz for a battle. We battled. After the battle, Biz was like, yo, you dope. You dope. Because we were doing lyrical stuff. And then Biz saw that, you know, that was, you know, he, he was So he switched it to funny rhymes about girls. And then I kicked a funny rhyme about a girl. You remember any of your shit from back then? Like your early shit? Nah, not real. Biz do, though. Okay. <laughs> Biz remember it all. He's like a fucking encyclopedia, yeah, right? for real. But after we battled, you know, he was like, yo, you dope. You should get down with me. I'll be doing shows in Harlem, um, the Bronx, Long Island. I guarantee you, if you get down with me, I'm going to get you a record deal. And he was a man of his word. You know, he made it happen. And when he said record deal, were you even, like, you're, how old are you? Like 15, 16, 17? Probably about 15, 16. Yeah. So when he's thinking, he's saying record deal, you're 15, are you even thinking, like, I want to do this with my life? Like, like because hip-hop at the time, which, which people forget, it's not like the way it is today, this attainable thing. Like, there were so few stars. It was Cool J, there was Run DMC before, he was Grandmaster Flash. And all that shit. Like, are you? What are you thinking? Like a record deal? Are you thinking like I'm gonna become rich? Like w in your head as a kid, what does that mean to you? Honestly, I wasn't even really, you know, thinking that far at the time. At the, at that point in time, I just wanted to be recognized as the dopest MC. And when Biz was talking about all this record deal stuff, you know, I mean, if you know Biz, you know Biz is crazy. Like Biz, um, you know, it was like he probably had did a show with Roxanne Shante opening up for um, Lilo Thomas, and Biz come back around the way like, yeah, I just got off tour with Lilo Thomas, you know? <laughs> so it was like, in my mind, I, it, it, it wasn't that realistic until Biz actually made it. And I was like, wow. And then, you know, he came back and got me, you know? Cause it was like, you know, he had came to me with the Make The Music idea and said he wanted me to write it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, you beatbox and I rhyme. Don't you mean you want me to write the rhyme that I'm going to say about you making the music and then you make the music with your mouth? And Biz said, okay, Kane. I never seen him again. <laughs> I don't know who he went to or whatever, but, you know, I never seen him again. And then he got on with the Juice Crew and came back and got me and, you know, told me about the Nobody Beats the Biz concept, and, yeah, I, I need something that's like, a zuka, 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 you know, and, you know, from there, there was no looking back. Yes, darling, to the light beating, you could either dance or just have a seat and listen to the way in, what I am slaying, a different kind of rapper language that I am saying, to all the party people, that exorbitant but info, when it come to rockin' parties, I am a info, maniac, brainiac for doing my dancing, my record make the music, we'll put you in a trance in it. All right, you fuck them up, you fuck them up, brain up. 
It, what, it, what like without taking credit because you wrote for Biz, it's, it's documented, or without like you know discrediting Biz. Can you say like what, what is there something specific that people for me that you wrote for Biz that you're like yeah I, I had my hand in that like what songs or what parts of songs can you say like yeah I, I, without dis you know without disrespecting him or taking credit because it's open that you were writing for him what are the songs that you had your 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 fingerprints all over I think Vapors was probably um, the the main one that sticks like. Picking boogers in a way as well because it was something I didn't want to do and didn't quite understand how I'm supposed to do it. You know, like, what am I supposed to write about? I don't know anything about picking boogers. Just somewhere in there, just say, hey, ma, what's for dinner? You know, so it's like, and I would never think about writing a song called Picking Boogers. So that was a challenge. But the Vapors, I think, was the most interesting because it's like sitting with Cool V, like, yo, whoever shitted on you, and you know, you like really got that payback, you know, like now, now, now they kissing your ass, like, you know, like, you know, and it's like, I'm actually hearing people's stories, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this happened. I'm hearing people tell these stories and then putting their life into a rhyme. Okay. Not mine, I'm not talking about me. Putting their life into a rhyme. I was like, yo, this is dope. I'm feeling like Quincy Jones right now. Well, you all know T.J. Swan, who sang on my records. Make the music, nobody beats the biz, well, check it. Back in the days before this began, he used to try to talk to this girl named Fran. The type of female with fly Gucci wear, with big drug jewelry and extensions in her hair. When Swan tried to kick it, she always best talking about, baby, please, you work for UPS. Since he wasn't no type of big drug dealer, my man T.J. Swan didn't appeal to her. But now he trucks gold and wear fly belly boots Rough leather fashion and tough silk suits Now she stopped fronting and wants to speak And becoming to all the shows every single weekend To get his people number she be begging please Dying for the day to get skis She caught the paper So when you were when you were doing those those joints You would like actually physically write it down You would talk to them physically write it down And then hand it to them and then be like the flows like this Like that Um a lot of times Biz, you know, will come up with the with the flow, you know. Like Biz already had in his mind what he wanted, you know. Got like, you. You know. Um, like, you know, nobody beats the biz, that's biz all day. Like, you know, the zika 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 seeing. Like, you know, he just that's how he, you know, spit the flow. And um, you know, so a lot of times he already knew. Okay. You know. Um, even with um uh just rhyming with Biz. He was like, yeah, I need something like a dip, dip, da-da, dip, dip, da-da, you know? All right. You know, he knew. Um, all right, so your first song, what's the first time you recorded as Big Daddy Kane? Walk me through every single thing you remember. What, what's the first joint that Big Daddy Kane recorded? Okay, well, I had been to um, Molly Crib like maybe like twice with Biz. And this is in Queens? Yeah. In Queens Bridge? No, Astoria. Okay. Oh, he had moved out of Queensbridge. Yeah, he was in a story at this okay. time. I've been to Marley Crib about twice with Biz. Marley Mall. And um But you know, it was the type of thing where Biz was like, you know, you you know, the Juice Crew dudes is funny. Don't tell them you an MC. Don't tell them, you know, who you are or or what we doing. So I was always there just silent. Like I was in the studio tonight, him and Shantae did their fresh crew. But I was just like I was just Biz man. That's you all. were there watching it. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about that, too. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was there watching it, you know? And, I mean, but... Wait, wait, wait. I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a bookmark you. What do you remember about the recording of that, the Death Fresh Crew shit? One, 
I guess Shantae was trying to feel me out because she was in like a roller chair and she kept rolling and banging me in the leg with it, I guess, to see what type of response, you know, she was going to get, you know. But I mean, I ain't paying no attention. I want, I want to get on, you know. I'm not going to say nothing smart. <laughs> I'm just like, yo, shorty wildin', man, you know. But, but you know, but the best part was like finding out how nice Shantae was off the top of the head. Because I seen her do about maybe four takes. And each time she said something different. Okay. The last one, I I, I, I truly believe that they kept it because um, she dissed Shan. Because she was in the booth and Shan said something real sarcastic to her. And Ty Magic and all them, they're in there laughing and stuff. Um, I mean, Ty and Marley, and they're in there laughing. And then when Shantae starts spitting and she said the stuff about it, because you're getting really skinny, only big as your hat, and pointed at him. And we all like, like, I'm like, yo, this little girl is nice, man. Like, I was like, wow. That was real. Yeah. All right, so finish finish what you were saying in regards to your first joint the second time. Yeah. So anyway, this particular day, this is the day the biz is going to do Nobody Beats the Biz. And, you know, Biz asked me to come with him to Marley Crib. And I'm like, man, I got classes and tests today, man. I, I, I come after school. You're a high school student. Yeah. I'm like, I come after school. So he said he was going into Midtown to um, get the Steve Miller Band joint. Anyway, I take the train, get to Marley crib. Biz ain't there. Marley talking to me with the chain on the door like, yo, what's up? I'm like, um, I'm here for the biz session. Biz ain't here, money. I'm like, well, you know, he told me to come out here. He's supposed to be doing the nobody beats the biz. Biz ain't here, money. I don't know what to tell you. No doubt, man. But in case he did show up, I just took the rhymes. And I'm like, well, here, these are the rhymes he's supposed to say. If he come, just give them to him. He like, you write stuff for biz? I wrote that, you know, and he was like, how'd it go? And like, I, I read a little bit of it. Then he took the chain off and was like, yo, you rhyme too? Yo, come in. Let me hear something. And he asked me to spit something. And he was like, yo, you want a vibe? Let's, let's, let's try to do something. So we sat going through records and um, he pulled up the um, I'll Take You There joint from the Staples Singers. And I was like, yeah, my man, understanding when we was in a crew together back in the days, used to always want to rock off this. So he's, you know, he was sampling and playing and when he heard the part, um, Big Daddy, he was like, ah. So Marley made a beat and I put some stuff and we made a song. And what was the first joint? I'll take you there. Hear ye, hear ye from far and near. The one they call the Big Daddy Kane is here to deliver a message to everyone everywhere. So listen up, party people, because this you should hear. It's a story of a faraway atmosphere that you will find very rare and far beyond compare. All is sincere and rather debonair. So let's all gather around because. And had, had it already been written or you were finessing it that day? That day. We did, did all that that day. Like, I was like, I'm in here with super producer Marley Moore. I just saw him just, like, I, I picked the 45 up, and he just made magic. He I'm was like, chopping that shit up there. Yeah. I'm watching this like, wow. And you're hype. Yeah. And when you're, when you're rocking that, 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 those rhymes and all that shit, like, how long did it take you to, like, do it? How many takes? Like, what do you remember about, like, where, where was it his fucking recording booth? Was it in his kitchen? Where was it? Um, we were in a room where like, I'm standing right there and Marley got headphones on the music, you know, down and he, I'm right next to him spitting on um, a sure stage mic. Yeah. And what was, when it was done, when that song was done, I'll Take You There was done, 
what was the response to it? Like, how was it passed around? Because the radio was such a big fucking thing. Having Marley cosign, having Magic cosign, having for others uh, Red cosign. It, and it was like sort of this like sort of like church and state with 98.7 and BLS. But like, when did the song start getting passed around? Well, what happened was um, when um, Fly Chai heard it, he, he, he liked the song and um, wanted to, you know, put it out. But at that time, Prince owned um, Staple Singers catalog. Prince Prince. Yeah, Purple Prince, yeah. He owned, you know, Staple Singers catalog, and he was like, nah, I guess he wasn't really feeling rap or whatever, and it was just shut down, like, no. Okay. You can't use it. So it was shelved. And then we ended up doing um, Just Rhyming With Biz joint. Um, and Fly Tie, well, it was a song called Something Funky. Just Rhyming With Biz was the B-side. Okay. But that's what took off because right. Biz was on it. Right. And it, it was popping, you know, in the tri-state area. Right. You know, it wasn't big, but it was popping in the tri-state area. Right. But I wasn't getting no money because everybody thought it was Biz record. So here I am with a joint playing on the radio, but I'm broke, you know, still stealing canned shrimp and Mrs. Paul Fish sticks out the store because I ain't got no paper, you know. And I'm begging tired of y'all. Let me do something by myself, man. I'm like, I need to be on a song by myself. He's like, nah, in time. There's still life in this. Let, let this song live. And he wouldn't let me do nothing. Then finally, he said, you know, he got tired of me asking. He's just like, go ahead, just try, try something. We see what it sounds like. And Marley made this beat. And um, I had um, wrote the rhymes for Raw. And this girl... Um, that um I was dating at the time, she tried to get me to stay at her crib instead of going to the studio. So she broke out all these records. She had like, I got records, you can look through my stuff. And I found, um, I'm like, Black Caesar, that was my movie. Mm. Damn. So when I found the Mama Feel Good, um, like the, bah, 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 I was like, oh yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, let me take this. But I'm still going to the studio, you know. Left uh, And that day, I don't know what it was, but something just said, Go stop by Downstairs Records. Because uh. that wasn't going to be the beat on Raw. Marley had made a regular drum beat. I stopped by Downstairs. My downstairs man, Records every day a week. Searching and searching for the baby band beat. Shout out spot. to the Jungle Brothers. Yes, sir. Well, that's the spot. Okay. I go up in there and, you know, this dude JC is like, yo, we just got these James Brown imports in. You need to hear them. It's like they stripped down to just the drums. Oh. Uh. So he played them. No, that's cool. And he played the one that Kid and Play ended up using for my way. I remember playing that. And I'm like, you know, that's cool. He was like, I say this for Lago. I know this one. I think this is you. Then he played the Bobby Bird, I'm coming. I'm like, yeah, let me get that. And you bought the record? I, I said, let me get, matter of fact, I bought two of them. I was like, yeah. And I took it to Marley. Like, yo, we need this right here. He was like, we're, I'm like, nah. And I, when he heard it, he was like, yeah, this shit is hot. And when you when you recorded that song, because it's such a fucking like, it's so like I, I was listening to it before you were coming over here. I mean, that song is so part of my life. But like, here I am, R A W. I mean, you come in so hard. Your voice, like you, you sound like the, the shit that's bugged out because you, you're you're two years older than me. But as a kid, two years older than me, like you, Rakim. KRS, Just Ice, yo, you guys seem like grown fucking men. And your voice in particular, the deepness of it, like it sounds like as a as a 15, 16 year old, I'm like, yo, this dude's like 30. 
And when I first came out, people thought I was like 25, 30. Be because of the voice and the whole shit you well, had to just, be I mean, I think I just looked older, you know? I looked a lot older. But w that song, like, w were you like, yo, this is my shot? Like, how long had you been sitting on the rhymes for Raw? Like, just talk to me about, like, now, what that I, song meant to The rhymes to for Raw, I think I had maybe a week, if that. Because like I said, Marley made a beat. And I wrote to the beat. Because the rhymes I spit wasn't even for the Bobby Bird beat. It was okay. for Marley's original beat. Okay. You know? But when I heard this, when JC gave me this, this, this 12 inch, I'm like, nah, this need to be the beat. And like, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go get some pizza. I bounce, came back. Marley had already dumped it to tape, but he dumped it wrong. He he used the part that um um that the same part that Teddy Riley had used, um, with no offbeat sneer. I'm like, nah, it's about six bars in. There's like an offbeat sneer to go boom, gat, boom, gat. We need that part. You knew like this was it. Yeah. He like, I already dumped it. I'm like, bruh. So he had to sample it all over again and then dump the tape all over again. And when he got it there, you know, he was like, nah, nah, I see your point. I see your point, you know. And then um, when I gave him the Mama Feel Good, you know, he sampled it. And I'm like, yeah, I just, just on the hooks, you know, I just want to use that. And that's when he threw a tantrum. Yo, man, this ain't us. This sound like some old public enemy shit, man. Them niggas want to be Juice Crew. We can't be, I'm like, bruh, this gonna carry the record. Like this sound right here is hypnotizing. It's gonna carry the record, man, we need this. Nah, we need this. And we argued for about 15 minutes about putting that part of putting that in, but you know, we ended up doing it. And when I spit the verses, it like, like Marley was like, yo, this is crazy. Here I am, R-A-W, a terrorist. Here to bring trouble to phony and seize. I move on and seize. I just conquer and solve another rapper with ease. Cause I'm at my apex and others are below. Nothing but a milliliter. I'm a kilo, second to none. Making MCs run, so don't try to step to me. Cause I ain't the one. Marley was like, yo, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. Like, yo, I want to play this this weekend. <laughs> like, and did, did he wind up playing it on the radio? Yeah, um, I can't remember if he played it that weekend, but he ended up playing it. And what was... Like the reaction for you, what did it mean for you to have that played on the radio? And what do you remember the re reaction around New York? You got to understand, I'm in position to, you know, make a record and I finally get the opportunity to do it and everybody think it's Biz song. Nobody's paying me no attention. I'm not eating. So now here's my second chance to go in the studio and do something for, for me, just myself. Rap, here I am, R-A-W, you feel me? So like this was like, you know, this is my shot. This I, I, was, I felt like this is my last chance. And that's how I went in on Raw. So like for, for it to come out that way, I was like, yeah, yeah. The response was what it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it, everybody was like, you know, just took to it. I love this shit so fucking much. All right. When you started rocking, when you got your record deal, you were you you were shouting out Botch, Hawk, Dog, NA Rock, Ant Live, who specifically I want you to break down. Break down, explain to the people like there's this R and B hip hop world, there's this this music business world, and you're bringing real life street dudes. And, and at the time, there was no like it was like real life street dudes. Like when when you so who who's Botch, 
Hawk, Dog, N.A. Rock. And who were they to you at the time? And why were you bringing them with you? Well, Botch to this very day is my, you know, closest friend. You know, that's like my brother. To this very day, that's my closest friend, you know. Um, but back then, you know, he was a street dude that, you know, looked out for me, you know. I say I got a, a, a date. He let me hold one of his whips. I ain't had driver's license the first, you know. I'm out there performing with biz with no record deal. You know, I'm just making a little cameo appearances, you know. He, you know, go ahead, man, get heavy. Throw a big rope chain around my neck. Now, get heavy, man. Let the people, you know, his chain just got me some ass that night. You uh, know what I'm saying? So, you know, he was a dude that always looked out, you know. So when I got on, eventually, um, you know, I made him my road manager. Okay. You know, yeah. But he always looked out for me. And these other dudes, Hawk, Dog, N.A. Rock, like these are like. These, these like, were street dudes that I, you know, um, used to uh, hang out in the mall with and run around Midtown with, you know. And Ant Live. Ant Live is Eric B. Little Brother. Okay, who passed away. Yes, rest um, in peace, Ant. Because I know you've told the story. So at one point, like, it's you, in my opinion, there's other dudes, and there's other dudes that are part of groups, but in my opinion, this is my opinion. I mean, Cool J was killing it, but for me, KRS, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, you know, there's the obligatory top five list. I always start with KRS, in any order, KRS, Big Daddy Kane, Rakim. Big Daddy Kane, Rakim, KRS. And then I'll add the other two depending on my mood. <laughs> like, you guys are my big three. At one point, there was some a rumor. And I remember one time, I think it was in 1989. It might have been in, like, Right On Magazine. I saw a picture of you and Rakim. And at the time, there's no Instagram. There's no computers. And, like, and I was like, oh, shit. They, they know each other? Like, it was like, you know which picture I'm talking about. He yeah. had, like, and I was like, how do these guys know each other? Like, uh, what, like, because there was so, just such a mystique, you know? We couldn't follow you the way we were able to follow everybody today. But at one point, there was a rumor that Kane was going to battle Rakim. And Ant Live is is Eric B's brother, but Ant Live is your dude. Eric Ant Live B, was my road manager. Okay, and then Eric B. So obviously, so explain that the myth was there really going to be a battle? Had you ever met Rakim before? And and break down this story of, of the Rakim-Big Daddy Kane battle. Because for me personally, I'm glad it never happened. Because God forbid one of you guys cut the other dude. It could have fucked up the trajectory of your career. And at the end of the day, the fans, we needed both of you guys. But if it happened, who knows what could have happened. It could have fucked up like the legacy. So break down the reality. What, what happened? What didn't happen? All right. When I was first trying to get on, um, you know, Eric and Ra had their joint out. Um, and me, Ant Live, and Cool G Rap used to be together all the time. I think G may have had um, It's a Demo at the time. Which was a blazer. Yes, sir. But um, And you guys are all kids. You just know each other from Marley. From, like, how are you knowing each other? Yeah, just through the industry, you know. Um, so me, Ant Live, and Cool G Rap, we would always be together. You know, always hanging together, you know. And when I finally got on, um, Ant was Eric's road manager, but um, Eric changed to use someone else. So, you know, Ant, when he said he wasn't with him no more, I was like, well, yo, you know, I'm, I'm about to go on tours and stuff. I'm, I need a, you know, like, you know, a, a real road manager. So he said, you know, he'd do it. And me and, because you got to say, me and Eric was cool. Right. When I was DJing for Shantae in 86, um, 
she was the opening act on the Def Jam tour. Right. Eric B. and Rakim was on. So me and Eric got cool around that time. Had you met Rakim at that time? Yeah, I met Rakim. Because um, I, I rode on the tour bus with them from one state to another. And me and Rakim, we talked briefly. But it was me and Eric was really the ones that was tight. Got you. You know, me and Eric sit there cracking jokes and, you know... You know, we 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 just got real cool. But you and you're and like Rock Kim, like '86. You're you're a fan of his. Obviously, everybody loved that fucking that record. Oh yeah, no. Nah, I mean, um, uh, Eric B for president was amazing. But then to actually hear him on um my melody, I was like, yeah, this dude is a beast. You know. So um, you know, I, I mean, it wasn't nothing like that. I had no animosity, you know, against Rock Kim. You know, um, back then. And and besides, you know, like I said, Eric was my man. Like this, is how tight me and Eric was. When I bought my first house, I was out here, mm. um, um, working on some stuff. So Eric was the one who had the keys to my house mm-hmm. for the um, interior decorator to come in each day and put furniture different places. And you know, he calling me like, "Yo, you said you know such and such." Like he's coming and letting these people in every day. That's got how you. me and Eric was. I got you. You know, you know. I mean, we still tight. Got you, know? you. But I mean, you know, that's how it was. But then um, after um, set it off, because of course, since both of us is popping, everybody want us to go at each other. You know, so you hear like, "I, you know, I want to see Kane and Rock Kim battle." I want to see. But after set it off, and um, I forgot which song he, with him. When he said the um the word to daddy, he getting that cane with the and telling Rod, yo, he getting that you with the um rap solo issue, don't want none of this. You know? And, you know, I wasn't really paying it no attention. You know? I you know, I didn't really pay it no attention. And like like what you were saying about what can happen with careers. It's like, you know, a lot of people when they battle, Careers have yeah, careers have ended. It's over. At the time, you know? it's over. There's no yeah. oh, I'm still good. Like it was, it was. You're done. So like, if especially we do motherfuckers this, at your level, like yeah. Cool J, Modi, Modi kept going. You know, fucking Modi, what he did to Busy B, it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was beautiful, but it was like that's it. Yeah. You're never, you're never to be heard from. And so, with that understanding, you know, as I said, Eric is my man. So we do this. You know, the effects can affect Eric B as well. Oh. Uh. So that's not what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? But um, anyway, what happens is one night me and Aunt live together. And we pick this girl up. And she gives me a, a photo. And on the photo it says, Dear Kane, I want to set it off and get R.A.W., Ain't no half-stepping because I'm going to break your wrath in half. Now, I'd already heard the rumors that Rakim got a song called Break the Wrath in Half. So I showed a picture to Ant. And it's like, yo, uh, what you mean by Break the Wrath in Half? And she like, oh, you ain't heard Rakim's song? He got a song trying to diss Kane called Break the Wrath in Half. Y'all ain't heard it? And Ant is like, nah, where you heard it? Eric B. played it for me on Jamaica Avenue. You know, I, I was in his Rolls Royce um, the other day, and he he played it for me. He let me, and me and Ed is sitting there just cracking up, laughing, cracking up, laughing, and like, finally the girl is like, "Yo, why you keep looking at him laughing? Like, Would you work with Eric B or something?" And it's like, "No, nah, I live with him, bitch. That's my brother." Uh. And she goes, "Oh, you know how niggas talk." <laughs> so <laughs> we like we laughing like, "Yo, I can't believe this!" Like this, then that's what Ed was like, "Yo, this is getting out of hand. You and Rob really need to talk, man." 
you know, like, you know, y'all should talk, man. If, if I hit him up, will you? I'm like, oh, yeah. So he called him, put Rod on the phone, and sure enough, Rod mentioned, like, you know, he asked me about that line. And I'm like, no, I'm saying I'm the rap soloist. Competition don't want none of this. Uh-huh. I'm like, I know you said that, and you know that I'm a soloist, but you know Kwame, Heavy D, they soloists. Anybody around alone is a soloist, God. You know, I'm, I'm saying I'm the rap soloist, and competition don't want none of this. I'm like, nah, that wasn't it, you. And I asked him about the word to daddy, and he said, you know, that's that's some Long Island slang. You know, like we don't really say word to mommy or to my mother. We say word to daddy, you know. And we left it at that. What what's the relate like like again this there may be no relationship like it's like people like in acting or in basketball or whatever like me an actor like there's this actor that we know each other we're cool but like wh what do you think of like historically Kane like my dream I've said this before matter of fact I'll say this to you now my dream song is I know there's been pieces of this my dream song today you Ra and KRS on a joint with like a premiere beat or a tip beat or a large pro beat. Like when, when I say these guys, is it like respect? Are you guys cool? Like the legacies are so impactful of the, of you three. Like when I say those two guys' names now, like are, what, do, what is your first thing that comes in your head? Lyrical beast, man. I mean, I think that um, Ra, Chris, and G-Rap, all three of them are lyrical beasts that always kept me on my toes, you know? I mean, like, I, I hear something new from them, and you're like, you know, yeah, it's real. And your style, like, when I'm, when I'm thinking about your style, like, there was so much going on. There was the wordplay. Ain't No Half Stepping was, like, more slow. Uh, consciousness like so much of the shit that I, I was opened up to was from you from Rakim from Just Ice from Public Enemy like just as a young dude as a young white dude like you guys are kicking now it's like you had so much in your in your shit that you were talking about and everybody was so unique like just the, the people that I've mentioned now you mentioned Kwame you mentioned Kid in Play like everybody was so one of a kind yeah. for you specifically what was the sort of ingredients? What was the, the mentality like to, to separate yourself from the pack? LL was ladies love. You know, I need love. Dougie Fresh was the party shit. Like, what was like your like mentality? Like, I want, I'm going to be this guy. Well, I mean, at that point in time, you know, as you said, everybody was looking at us as that top three. You know, me, Rakim, KRS. And, you know. That was cool, but, you know, for me, not good enough. I had, I felt like I had to do something to stand out, you know. And, um, you know, from, you know, just being on a lot of Eric and Ross shows, you know, I know that, you know, you know, Rakim is a beast on the mic, but, you know, he wasn't really a performer like mm -hmm. that, you know, you know. So it was up, you know, like my thing was putting together a great stage show. Okay. Making sure that my stage show is rock solid and just so electrifying that it separates me from, you know, this dude. With KRS, you know, another lyrical beast, you know, but, you know, not the most attractive dude on the planet, you know. So with him, it was like, you know, to separate myself, you know, get on some real sexy, smooth shit, you know. And, I mean, that's, that's what it basically, it was like, okay, what can I do you know, um, it's like we all lyrical beasts, man. But what can I do better than them on other levels? You know, I got you. And Scoob and Scrap, the dancers, Houdini had Cliff and Stretch. You had Scoob and Scrap. Scoob I knew from my man from Brownsville. I mean, and they were stars. 
Cliff and Stretch were stars. You know, you'd see them on fucking uh, Soul Train. Like, it was like, oh, you know, if you were on TV at the time, it was like a big fucking deal. Like, your your show, like, you know, the influence of, you know, like the 70s, the stylistics, the dancing, the spinners, and, and the James Brown of it all. Who who was sort of, you know, like the think tank of that? Was it you? And where'd you find Scoob and Scrap? Um, well, Latin Quarters, you know, when I used to go there with, with Biz before I was on, um, me, Scoob, another um, one of the IOU, because there was a crew called the IOU Dancers, um, Scoob, and another IOU dancer named Lays. He manages MOP. Um, oh, shit. I didn't know he danced. And um, Mike. Um, they used to dance with Nice and Smooth. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we would hang at the bar, drink a Heineken, talk about what we going to do, you know. And, you know, I, I said it to school, you know, you know, yo, when I get on, man, you know, it would be dope if you came, you know, dance for me. When I finally got on, one night um, after the quarters, I, I asked school, did, you know, do you want to get down? And I was like, yeah, I want, you know, like two dancers. And then he brought Lay's. And, you know, we was rocking. But then Lays, you know, um, he left to pursue a music career. That's I, that's bugged. I didn't know that shit. Yeah. Like, um, with Just Rhyming With Biz days, it was me, Scoob, and Lays. Oh, shit. Scrap got down, like, around Raw. And, um, yeah, Scoob brought Scrap in. And a conversation I had with Dougie Fresh to make me want to look at old videos. And I, um, I had an old video of James Brown where he did the split and Bobby Bird pull him up by his hair. And I was like... Yo, we got to do something like that. But you ain't fucking with my hair. But we got to do something like that. <laughs> so we created a move where I do, I do the split. And he pulled me up out my collar. And, you know, like we just started. It just, yeah, it just, it just came together. Um, You mentioned Latin Quarters. I was in there. I saw some crazy shit. Like, j- just out of your memory, what's the craziest club fight you remember either at Latin Quarters or Union Square? I mean, I've seen girls get their fucking earrings snatched at Union Square. Terrible shit, you know, when you look back at it and like really shit that like young kids, I mean, it was so, you, you, when you're young, you're not thinking about it, but when you're like, I was 17, anything could have fucking happened. What do you remember about Latin Quarters or like the wildest shit you saw in there? The, the two that I remember the most is the night when um, uh, 50 Cent got into it with security and he um, shot one of the mirrors, um, like right when you come up the stairs right by the coat check. Yep. Like, and he had shot one of the mirrors out. Um, like that was just crazy. Fifty cent, fifty cent. I mean, the original fifty cent. Right. Yeah, the street dude, fifty cent. You saw that happen. Yeah, yeah. Like we was there that night, and like that shit was crazy. Um, I think they tried to rob somebody or something. I don't know exactly what happened, but I know security was. He, he got into it. Like him and a couple other guys, they got into it with security, and all of a sudden, just like bow. You know, what happened after that, I don't know, because everybody scattered, man. But, um, yeah, I remember that night, and then the night they tried to rob Jam Master J. Tell me about that. Um, That's a bad fucking decision. Yo, uh, but, yo, on the real, Jay wasn't that deep that night. Mm. I think I think it was him, Hurricane, and maybe one other. I don't think it was no more than, like, you know, three or four of them. And what do you remember? <sighs> Yo, man, it must have been about twenty dudes from Brooklyn, or like, like, yo. I mean, it was like a a crazy gang brawl. I mean, like, yo, like about twenty dudes on his ass, man. You know, trying to get that chain. They fighting like, I mean, like, it looked like they fighting like stuntmen, man. You know, throwing dudes and all types of shit, man. And and I mean, it, yeah. But the, at the end of the night, they ain't get that chain. 
Like, this is in, in the quarters? This is in Latin quarters. It's, I think it started on the dance floor, I believe, and it ended up in the like in the back by like, you know, on the table. So, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it was like, yo, yeah, Jay stood his ground, like, against like about 20. <laughs> like, yo, I mean, yo, it was so many people trying to get at this dude, man. That's fucking crazy. And I mean, yeah, and this was and this was like one of them um like Peter Griffin and the chicken type fights, man. Like that's how long it lasted, man. Right. Like this was a long fight, man. You know? Um, that's bugged. Um, all right. I mean, let me let me throw some more shit at you. When you popped, when the first record came out, Long Live the Kane, and then Big It's a Big Daddy thing came out, like you became a fucking star. What what was it like on tour? girls the violence the like when was the first time you remember going to europe like and you're like 21 19 20 21 like what's going through your head like as like what do you are you like yo this is my life like where's your head at at the time um i mean you know it was like it was amazing you know a lot of the stuff i had already done thanks to biz you know i hadn't been on the road um with biz a whole lot of times and he was a fucking star yeah and i had toured in 86 with Shantae as her DJ, and that oh. was a Def Jam tour, so oh. that was a major tour. So you're sort of getting like a soft, like you're you're getting it before you're in front of it. You're sort of getting exactly, like exactly, yeah. Okay. So I've experienced it before my career really began, but now this is actually me where I can dictate the pace, you know, of things, you know, because I mean, like when I was DJing off uh, um, for Shantae, you know, it was a type of thing where you know, um, I, I bag a girl, we leave in the venue. Ain't way in hell I'm taking you backstage around, um, you know, Ecstasy and Jalil and LL. Nah, we out. Well, I was gonna, no, 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 you won't see the rest of the show. Let's bounce. You know, now it's like, we, you know, we can stay now because I'm that dude now. I got you. You know what I'm saying? I got you. Yeah, you know, so I mean, it was, but I had already experienced this, but I mean, it's like now it's like, you know, where it, it's it's about me. You know, I'm I'm not, you know, just the DJ or the, um, um, cameo rapper, you know, that's making a little appearance for biz, you know, this is my thing, you know, and it's like, okay, I done did this before, but okay, this is how I want it to be. So it's like, I'm really setting the tone, you know, this time, you know, with events and, you know, how we going to deal with stuff, you know? And what about Europe? Like, when was the first time you went to Europe as Big Daddy Kane? And like, what was the response? What do you remember about that? And how bugged out was it seeing like your lyrics, your songs, your show resonate with people? Well, the first time I remember um, talking to some white dude in the hotel lobby and he was asking me all these questions about me that I'm like, how do you know this? You know, I'm like, how do you how did you find this? Like he knew a whole lot about me. That's when I realized. And he explained he was like, well, you know, artists usually come over maybe once a year. If that, so we don't really get to see a lot of the artists. So, you know, we read a lot of, and you know, and, you know, we always want to, and I'm like, wow. I'm like, yo, these dudes is like true, real diehard fans. Like, this is crazy. And, Cause I mean, like at the concert, it was amazing. Like they was screaming, like, you know, it was a Michael Jackson concert. Uh -huh. You know, I was like, yo, hip hop is so real over here in Europe. Like, 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 wow. You know? And then I remember when we did Germany, it was like people running on stage and, 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 and like, yeah, it, like it, it was crazy. 
And a lot of people there were uh, military people. We was in Frankfurt. Oh. So a lot of people there were from America, military people. But it was like, you know, the people that actually, I guess, were German, like, you know, running on. And then and they're talking to you and don't speak, you know, you know, real good English, you know. And it's like, but rocking with you. Right. And know the songs. And I'm just sitting there like, yo, this is crazy. Dapper Dan, this is just a specific question because he's making emergence. Uh, a reemergence, which is dope. When was the first time you made a trip up to Dapper Dance? Trip. Um, I I, I want to say I'm not sure, but I want to say the first thing he made was this black and white um leather um sweatshirt that had the universal flag on the front. I think that was like the first thing that he made for me. I could be wrong, but but I, I think that's what what it was. Yeah. Do you do you have any of your old stuff? Any of your old like stuff you used to rock? Um, nah. Um, the last piece of um stuff that I, that I had, last few pieces I had, I donated to the um, museum in D.C. The African Museum in D.C. Um, the MCM jacket I had it. Um, it was like with a family member in the South. I gave it to them, but they couldn't find it. So damn. Um. All right. Where's Biz now? Are you still cool with Biz? Oh yeah, Biz called me like every once in a blue moon to curse me out about stupid stuff, you know, mad about nothing, just want to yell at me, you know. But that's my dude for life, man. Right. Like you know, I mean, none of this would be possible without him, man. Hey, oh, tell this story, because I always say this, and no disrespect to his talent, because it's immense, and 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 what he did, the Jay Z connection. Because you were the quintessential Brooklyn MC. Like, your whole shit, your swagger, the way you walked. Like, there's just, like, it was just Brooklyn. And if you're not from New York and you didn't grow up at that time, it, that sounds very vague. But it was like Brooklyn dudes had a way. Harlem dudes had a way. Queens dudes had a way. Bronx dudes had, to, had a way. And keep it real, until Wu-Tang, no one even mentioned Staten Island. True. But, like, every, right? I mean, they literally put that shit on the map. It was like the four boroughs and yeah. then Wu-Tang Clint camp. Came so Jay Z. How did you meet Jay Z? Um, and when did you realize this guy had talent? Did I, real, I realized that he had talent the first day I met him. What happened was, um, you remember the um, the shirt kings? Yes. Okay, one of the shirt kings, Nike. He asked me um to um do a mixtape with Jazz O. Okay. With Fresh Gordon. Fresh Gordon, you know, Gordy lived around the corner from me. Okay. Um, like I was on Louis Lafayette, I think he was on Van Buren and Troop, something like that. Well, he was around the corner for me, so it's like you know, like okay, we do it. We get there. Um, Jazz said, "Yo, um, you mind if my man rhyme on the tape?" And he introduced me to Jay Z. It's like, all right, that's cool. So we did it. We did the mixtape, and then when it was done. Um, you know, we leaving, and Nike was like, "Yo, um." Really what this is about is we trying to get Jazz a new deal. Um, you feel like, you know, working with him to try to make something happen. I was like, honestly, I like that light-skinned motherfucker better, man. I mean, you think it's possible I can connect with him? And then me and Jay ended up, you know, connecting. We, like, recorded some stuff and, uh, you know, we were shopping at a lot of places, you know. Um, but... Um, you know, like nobody wanted to, you know, nobody was nobody was feeling them. And the crazy part is like, you know, to find out how close and um um the business ties him and Lior um 
ended up having because Lior was also one of the people that turned him down. Oh. But then they ended up, you know, I was like, wow, this is crazy, man, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I took Lior, Benny Medina, um, Cassandra Mills, a whole lot of people. Yeah, they, they you, you wanted to put him on. Yeah. You knew, like, there was something about him that was. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I guess, I guess Jay figured out on his own that, you know, that fast flow stuff, they're not. They've not messed with it. He revamped himself and, you know, started, you know, kicking the street stuff, you know, um, you know, more like the biggie fashion and the rest was history. And the fast flow shit, like when when you said on ain't no half step and the B I G D A double D Y K N E, like I remember like that was like it's so like we've heard especially that song, it's such a pop song. Like it made it 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 transcended everything. And we've heard Das Effects, we've heard Hove do it, but like that. The way you rocked that, the way you spelled your name out quick and connected the whole shit, who was influencing you when you were first starting? Like, who were the Kaz. ones? Grandmaster Kaz. And where were you hearing him? You know, back then, you know, early 80s, you know, um, I had Cold Crush tapes. I had Grandmaster Flash tapes, um, Breakout tapes. Um, but Cold Crush, I was really just, you know, really listening to the routines. And I remember I was with my man Swan, not 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 the singer. One day I was kicking his rhyme. I, I, I do remember that rhyme. It was like, I'm the T-O-N-Y, the T-E-E. Your hands can't hit, but your eyes can't see. I know the tricks. I know the trades. I'm sharp as a motherfucking razor blade. This is like 82. And he was like, nice, cool. Yo, you, you, yo, you ever listen to the Cold Crush? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm the routine. I'm, you know, nah, not the routines. If you heard them rhyme individual, it's mainly that grandmaster Kaz, dude like nah i ain't never listened to it he's a yo and i heard this dude grandmaster Kaz, captain of the four another nigga couldn't touch me if he had a rhyme store even if he had a plant manufacturing rhymes he couldn't make them no better than i make mine and i'm like and then he plays something else and this dude is like I just dress my best and request my guests not to mess with the sets that I possess and take a toke on the coke but I won't choke and I'm just sitting there like hey, yo what the and this is 82 yeah I threw my whole rhyme book away man and just started my whole life all over man like when I heard this dude I'm like yeah if I'm not doing something like that I'm wasting my goddamn time you know I got you. That, that was like my biggest influence. I got you. Even when you heard, even when you, you just recited that, uh, just the discotheque, like I could hear the, the influence of that shit. Yeah. That's fucking dope. Yeah. Um, what do you listen to today to get hype? What do you, like I know you, you always used to, like, you know, the Barry White shit. Like you brought all this soul shit to hip hop. I mean, there was other ones, but you really, you know, you started doing shit with the late great Barry White. What music do you listen to today, like in the morning, in the day? Like, what what is your music of choice in general for you, for Big Daddy King? Uh, I, I love, you know, 60s and 70s soul. Like, I'm just in the crib chilling or, you know, sitting outside, you know, drinking a glass of wine. Yeah, like um, some David Ruff and Otis Redden, if I'm in that 60s zone, 70s zone. Um, Willie Hutch. Willie Hutch is probably one of my favorites, man. Speak on it. I mean, Willie Hutch, like, first of all, production-wise alone was such a beast. Like, his production was so beast. And then, like, as a vocalist, you know, he had a beautiful, raspy voice, but the stuff he was spitting, 
he was spitting that stuff that you can go and, and go take to a chick, you know? You know? My man said, I can't buy you no big old fancy Cadillac, but I can afford something to get you where you're going and back. You know, I mean, he was, yo, he was, yo, he was spitting that ism for real, man. You know, Hush was a beast, man. I love this shit so fucking much. Um, all right, I'm going to ask you the obligatory question of this, but I'm going to say groups. I'm not going to ask you MCs. Big Daddy Kane's top five favorite groups of all time, and you could do six if you want to do a cherry on top. So Big Daddy Kane's top five favorite hip-hop groups of all time. Public Enemy. And no particular order. Public Enemy, Run DMC, Wu-Tang, Tribe Called Quest, EPMD. Um, what do you think, like, some people try to, like, shit, like, on, on older dudes. They can't shit on you, but, like, you know, I, I, I'm not even going to name names because I know you're respectful with it. For me, I'm so disappointed with these young dudes, the majority of them. Of course, there's dope dudes. There's the J. Coles. There's the Kendrick Lamars. There's dudes that you could understand and that, that, like, you, you could tell care about what they're doing. For me, when I look at these motherfuckers who are just straight shit, you, they, they're not kicking knowledge. They have no flow. They have no original flow. You can't even understand what they're saying. What are you uh, excited about in the state of hip-hop today, and what concerns you about the state of hip-hop today? What excites me is to see um, so many young cats making big money and, you know, being able to feed their family, you know, get their parents out the ghetto. You know, I mean, I think that's beautiful because you know the money they make in the day we wasn't making back then so, you never even could have foresee it right nah nah i mean i and i always felt that hip-hop was going to be a dominant genre genre but money was i never thought it would be like this like when you hear like the checks they be cutting today and i mean to see those cats you know making a lot of money i think it's beautiful um i guess my main concern is like the longevity. I worry about these dudes not having longevity. And, you know, if you, you're that successful when you're young, it might be something that you can't handle mentally. Right. You know, where you end up turning to drugs or committing suicide because you're not that dude no more. And, you know, you ain't getting them bags no more, you know. So I worry about that because there's such a disconnect with um, the younger generation and the older generation. And I just wish that could be fixed, mm -hmm. but it's going to um, take a lot of work on both sides. You know, um, the younger generation would have to um, embrace and listen to the generation before them. But also the older generation have to be willing because there's a lot of cats my age that's like, man, fuck them young dudes. They stupid. They don't know what they're doing, you know. Uh, and there's a lot. There's, I mean, there's some of my age that think that it's all about to turn around and they're going to be that dude again, mm. you know? And I mean, other than Michael Jackson, I never seen nobody else that it turned around and you that dude again. Right. You know, I didn't see that like um, with um, uh, Paul McCartney. I didn't see that with Elvis, um, uh, whoever else, like, you know, did came back around, recorded again, and all of a sudden, you know, people just fainting and all, you know. Michael Jackson, the only person I've ever seen that with. Right. You know, it just don't happen that way. Right. You know, I mean, Ronald Osley got back on, but, you know, 
it was, you know, a, it wasn't like, you know, when, you know, who, you know, chicks wasn't fainting, you know, but it was like, you know, Mr. Biggs, yo, you killing it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, I mean, it's like, you know, I think that, you know, Big Daddy Kane or Rakim, MC Light, Dougie Fresh, we could put out new music and people take to it, you know. But, I mean, you know, those days where people, ah, and, you know, trying to pull your clothes off, you know, that's gone. That's something for the kids, man. Right. So, with this younger generation, we should be able to communicate with them and show them how it was for us, how to make it work, where they can have stay power. Right where they can have originality, something that makes them separate from every other artist right. and makes them unique. We need to be able to connect with them and show them, you know, because if they didn't see it, they don't know. Got you. You know what I'm saying? Because like, you go to them and say, yo, you ever heard of Big Daddy Kane? No. So if you've never seen it, you don't know. That, that really fuck, and I'm just a fan, Kane, that really fucking bothers me because that's like saying to a, like a, like a young dude in the NBA, yo, yo, you ever heard of Larry Bird? No. Like, you ever heard of Dr. J? No. Like, shut up. You sound stupid. That's not something to be proud of. No, not at all. That's something to be, like, ashamed of. Like, you ever heard of a naughty by nature? You ever heard of whatever? Like, yo, you sound dumb. You sound real fucking stupid. Um, when you were young, obviously rhymes were inundated in your head. When you hear beats now, when you hear music now, are you able to listen to it as a fan? Or does that mechanism that in you does it still like fuck with flows and patterns of song you know what i mean because obviously when you were you when you were like young it was it must have been you know all it hard to turn off in a way but now that you're older and you don't record as much you still rock mm -hmm. do you still have that thing in you where like the mc is like when you're hearing music or if you're hearing like an old joint where you're like yo i want to rock on that in your head as an artist is that still alive in you oh yeah um it, it definitely is you know um, it, it, even with with um with what the younger generation you know does, like I was like I was just curious, like yo, can I do this? You know, so I like sat the and, trap shit. Yeah, I sat and wrote one of those. Dun, 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 dun. You know, I, I sat, you know, wrote like maybe like eight bars. You know, was doing it, and I was just like, nah, this ain't me. You know, but I just was curious. You know, can I do it? You know, and you know, I can do it, but it's it's just not a comfort zone. You know, I was like, yeah, let me let me let the young cats have it. That that ain't me. I'm gonna throw different artists at you, you and I just want to hear your opinion of them. I'm just the goal across the board. Eminem, what do you think of him as a rapper, as a lyricist? Eminem is a great lyricist. He's a beast. He's probably um, one of that um, last generation of like lyrical. Um, I don't know whether you want to say lyrical pop stars, or, or, or lyrical artists that made a big impact. Mm -hmm. You know, because I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I love Joel Ortiz, um, Joe Buttons, um, Saigon. Mm -hmm. There's so many that's that you know that came later. That's lyrical beasts, mm -hmm. but you know, I mean, didn't really have the big commercial success. Mm -hmm. Eminem and Ludacris are probably the last ones that I, I, I think really did it like that. That's like, and, and, and T.I., excuse me, mm -hmm. you know, did it that's like on, on a lyrical level, but then also had that big commercial success. You know, but Eminem, yeah, he's a beast. Busta Rhymes, who you, I know you, you, you recorded that one joint with him and Tip, Come On Down, which is a fucking banger. I love that fucking joint. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, so Busta Rhymes, just, just as a fan, as, as somebody, like, w w break down Busta Rhymes. He's an instrument. 
Busta is an instrument. I will sit here and debate anybody and their mother that nobody in the hip hop industry got better flows than Busta. I was, I mean, I will sit here for two days straight and debate with you, your moms, your, your bodyguard. I don't think nobody flow like Buster. I mean, it was like he changes up his flow so often, man. And there's this one song he did where he used the Al Green beat called Turn It Up. Mm. Like I was listening to it in the car and I brought it back. I'm like, wait a minute. And I sat there driving, counting. And I'm like, yo, this dude just changed his flow seven times on one song. Oh, he's a beast. Ghostface. Ghostface is, is, I love Ghost, man. Ghost energy is just, you know, he's one of them dudes where like, you know, as soon as he opened his mouth, you paying attention. His energy is just crazy. Um, Bobby Womack, who's my favorite. He's my favorite. I mean, there's other ones who are different, but like he's like the unheralded, you know, underdog. Bobby Womack. Bobby Womack, I mean, he is like, you know, the definition of soul. I mean, it's like Bobby Womack voice can crack and it still sound funky. Like, I'll never forget one um, one day me and Gerald Levert was hanging out and his pops was with him. And we were talking about Bobby Womack. And this is what Eddie Levert said. He said, when people want to hear soul music, they come to see the OJs. They come to see the Osley Brothers. They come to see Patti LaBelle. But when the OJs, the Osley Brothers, and Patti LaBelle want to hear soul music, we go see Bobby Womack. Mm. That's what Eddie LaVert said to me. That's dope. Yeah. Um, and then the last question, the last person I ask you about, because he, he's so synonymous with hip-hop and so synonymous with, with your early songs and the samples and Marley and everybody's songs, James Brown. What did he mean to you, his music, his style? His, I mean, he's... Talk about a fucking artist. Talk about unique. Talk about game changing, pillar, fucking groundbreaking. Like, like it's like Mozart. Like the sounds that must have been going through this man's head. You could see how it could have drove him fucking nuts. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the hell was going through James' head, but yeah, whatever it was, it was magic, man. I mean, when you listen, I mean, I, I in my opinion. You know, and it's debatable. I think that um, Ray Charles is the inventor of soul. Mm. You know, I think that Sam Cooke is the voice of soul. But this is not debatable. James Brown is the person that defines soul. Mm. He's that person that put the music in a way where it's just undeniable like follow this blueprint and you be all right all right big daddy kane what can i say big daddy kane sincerely i'm no bullshit it's a fucking it means so much you 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 gave continue to give me so much fucking wheezy let, let kane live let kane live so much joy you're literally like when i think about seeing you at union square and like it was just a moment but i was like who's this dude 
you know, you stuck out. And then when, like, you're such a part of my life. And then when you started rocking solo and everything, the, 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 just your whole shit, it, like, it means so much to me that you came and rocked with me. Like, you, you mean a lot to a lot of people. But speaking to me, like, you just mean so much to me. So I appreciate you rocking me on the podcast. Listen, man, you know I'm a big fan, man. I have nothing but the utmost respect for you. And I love how you keep it real, man. And, you know... And then you also, it's like, you know, you, 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 you the dude that, that, that put hands on Loretta Devine on Boston Public. Man. So it's, <laughs> that was the funniest shit I ever seen. <laughs> I love you, brother. Big Daddy Kane, I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. All right, I told you it was dope. I want to thank my very, very, very special guest, Dark Gable. King Asiatic, nobody's equal. The Big Daddy came for rocking with me on the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Um, what can I say? Uh, we made history. That was museum quality podcasting with Big Daddy Kane. Um, I'm done. I ain't got no more to say. Miles, Jordan, take us out of here with something real nice, something real proper, but most importantly, something real funky. <laughs>